This podcast is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find other great shows on the network, head over to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. That's deluxeeditionnetwork.com. Hey, Meg. Hey. What's happening? You know, typical. Typical? typical day. Yeah, we're back at it. Though it was not a typical episode. This one's a little bit different. This one kind of spans out through many decades and many years. And it's, uh, I think it's something that you potentially heard of. And it's probably just another name and a bunch of other names that I'll say wrong. So I think we should, uh, should we just jump in the intro and, and get it over with? Mm-hmm. Not get it over with, you know what I mean? Because like the intro is pretty cool and everything. But I really want to jump into this one. <laughs> Okay, do it. Should we do it? Yep. All right, you tell me when. No. See, that was worth it. The intro's really cool. So this one, we have a very fascinating, a very interesting story, as we mentioned. And if you're somebody that doesn't read, uh, that's okay. That's why you're listening to the podcast. You don't have to read all this information. But the title is Centralia, Pennsylvania. And you might not be kind of familiar where it is. It's a borough in a pretty much ghost town in Columbia County, Pennsylvania, United States. It's part of the northeastern Pennsylvania. Its population has declined from a thousand people in 1980 to five in 2020. Only five. Only five. And we've done other stories in, in this where there has been some people that uh, you know less than ten people in a town. So if you want, go back and check those out. But uh, all real estate in this area was actually claimed under an eminent domain, and we'll. Kind of jump into a little bit of the details of there. They even discontinued the zip code. The post office is like, nope, not going there anymore. State and local officials just decided, uh, you know, that um, until pretty much people pass away, that um, they they could stay in there. But again, we'll jump into that in uh, a little bit later in this episode because it's pretty interesting how this story or kind of how the whole entire town got to where it is today um back in the day there was a many native american tribes were living in this area and they sold the land to kind of some of the people that came in in 1749 it's documented for 500 euro then in uh, 1793 Robert Morris, a hero of the Revolutionary War, and kind of uh, even signed the Declaration of Independence. I'm sure hopefully you have heard of that. If not, maybe it's time to go back to school. Um, did acquire the land. He then declares bankruptcy in 1798, and the land was surrendered to the um, Bank of the United States. Huh. So then a French sea captain by the name of Stephen Gerard. I was thinking as soon as I was like a French sea captain, I was thinking like super French name. That seem that seem overly Frenchy to me, does it? Is it Stefan? I don't know. Stefan, Stephen, Stefan, S-T-E-P-H-E-N. You let us know. Um, I've seen Stephen spelled that way and Stefan. So I don't know either way. French sea captain yeah. then buys it for $30,000 and it includes 68 tracks east of um, another place called Morris. He then learns, hey, there's a whole bunch of coal in this area and decides that, hey, you know what? That $30,000 investment is going to make me some money. He sells it. This person buys it. They sell it. Just keeps, just continually sold over time. And you know what I mean? The coal mines are open and they're closing. Just kind of a typical kind of town at this point, huh? 
Mm-hmm. Nothing crazy, but it then gets turned into a borough, like we mentioned before, in 1866. And, uh, you know, obviously with the coal industry, that's the main employer in this area. And then you get Alexander Ray, who actually found the town, Centralia, that it is known for today. And then he gets murdered in his buggy by a member um, of the, or members, actually, there's three members of the Molly Maguires in October 17th, 1868. Dun, dun, dun. There it is. Have you heard of the Molly Maguires? No. So the Molly Maguires are, um, they were, um, I think, Irish, uh, a lot of them Irish, uh, Liverpool and part of the Eastern United States, but they were just activists among Irish American and uh, immigrant coal workers. So anytime there was a strike, anytime there was a, a movement, especially with coal miners and stuff, these people were everywhere. And it's kind of, uh, what's what's that new show that are the Peaky Blinders, you know what I mean? Just kind of the oh, Irish yeah. kind of mentality, um, something like that, where they kind of stuck up for a lot of things, a lot of murders, a lot of incidents and violence and, and things were controlled by them, but definitely um, caused by them and actually the three people that ended up murdering um, alexander ray they were actually hung in the town center um, a couple of months later after it went through trial and everything so um but yeah they decided then after um with the, the town continually shifting and everything a legend among locals tells um apparently it's reported and this is uh, according to wikipedia father daniel ignatius mcdermott the first Roman Catholic priest to call Centralia home. He then cursed the land in retaliation for being assaulted by, guess what? Three members of the Maguires in 1869. McDermott said that there would be a day when St. Ignatius? Ignatius. Yep, that too. Roman Catholic Church would be the only structure remaining in Centralia. All right. It reaches its max population of 2,761 people in 1890. At its peak, this town had seven churches, five hotels, 27 saloons, two theaters, a bank, a partridge and a pear tree, a post office, and 14 general and grocery stores. So it was pretty big at a, at one point. Yeah, especially, I mean, this is, you know, the late 1890s, early 1900s. And again... Coal mining's good. It's booming. There's a peak. There's railroads going around. A lot of coal, you know what I mean? Just the Reading uh, Railroad and everything like that, uh, I think, was around this area as well. And then 1960 hits in the 60s. Not only is coal mining kind of declining at this point, but everything was good until then. And then uh, most of the companies actually shut down in this town. And this is where things get a little bit different because there's all sorts. There's one issue that happened. But a lot of analysts, a lot of people, historians and everything, they disagree about what happened to this town. And and I have to ask you, have you heard of the town in Pennsylvania that is always on fire? No. It's this town. Hmm. And now you're going to find out what happened. So it's an eerie, it's obviously a ghost town, and it's just, it's continually burning. There's been a lot of stuff that I've seen online in just vacant buildings, in ground burning, just heat coming from the streets and it's this place in, in Pennsylvania. So, um, so like we mentioned, a lot of people disagree and here's a couple of kind of people that are very well-spoken, wrote some stuff about it. You have a, a guy named David De, De Coke. 
I don't know how to say it. We're going to go with David. Uh, he was the author of Fire Underground, the ongoing tragedy of the Centralia Mine Fire, concluded that it started with an attempt to clean up the town landfill. So in May 1962, they decided to hire five people, of the um, volunteer fire department, to go in and clean the town landfill. And this did include uh, an abandoned strip mine pit next to the Odd Fellows Cemetery just outside the borough limits. And it had been done a couple of times in, in, in years prior on Memorial Day, and it was just in a different location. May 27, 1962, the firefighters, as they had in the past, set the dump on fire and just kind of let it burn. Uh, unlike previous years, though, they didn't fully extinguish the fire. An unsealed opening in the pit allowed the fire to enter, and the coal mine caught fire in all of the huh. veins, the tunnels, and... It just, you know, it is what it is today. I mean, it, it, it even to this day is still burning. And this was in the 60s. That's crazy. So another source then claims that the fire had started the previous day when a trash hauler dumped hot ash um, that included the coal and everything like that into an open trash pit. So this author of The Day the Earth Caved uh, noted that uh, city council members, um, June 4th, 1962, referred to two fires at the dump that five firefighters had submitted bills for fighting the fire in the landfill area. By, um, so by law, they were responsible for installing a fire-resistant clay barrier between each of the um, layers of the landfill, so something like this wouldn't happen. Fell behind schedule. They didn't complete the barrier, and then this allowed the hot coals to actually penetrate the coal um, and, and kind of start this never-ending fire that is there. Huh. But then there's another theory. It's this kind of scary one, that that could happen. Isn't it wild? I mean, but then you have a little neg negligence where some people didn't complete the fire barriers and it caught fire. Or some more negligence that they didn't uh, put out the fire. But the idea that it could go on for so long is yeah. just wild. Yeah. It, I don't know. I Like I said, it, it's hard for me to imagine it, obviously. But uh, I, yeah, I don't know as well. I guess coal burns really well. I mean, it wasn't a lot of things. And it's just continually, and it, it, I mean, it is unbelievable because it's never happened before. And it probably never will happen before. Just kind of one of those freak things. Or maybe if you believe in that stuff, it is the curse that, huh. uh, that McDermott laid on this land. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it just kind of stinks because it, it, it was like in a cemetery too. You know what I mean? Has to be a lot of, I would imagine, you know, Native Americans and, and, and everything else throughout years and years and years from the 1700s and earlier and everybody that was there laying, you know, at rest and then the fires. Uh, but there was one other theory that uh, that the Bast Colliery Fire of 1932, which was never fully extinguished, potentially could be the reason for this. And then the, the landfill, you know, it finally got there and it was kind of a coincidence, which I kind of find hard to believe, but a miner named Frank Gergel Sr. says that, hey, this theory isn't, uh, can't be possible because he was operating a bootlegging mine with his brother near the landfill from 60 to 62. And if the uh, original fire hadn't been extinguished in the 30s, the brothers probably would have died from the gases and everything in the tunnels, which it makes sense, mm -hmm. you know? And that was, that was one thing too, that a lot of, bootlegging mining was happening there's a lot of stories and and everything else from that so that's also a little wild to get into an old mine pit that hasn't probably been used in a while but then in 1979 
All right. What is that? Uh, 17 years or whatever after locals become um, aware of the scale of the problem. A gas station owner who was also the mayor at the time, John Coddington, inserted a dipstick into one of the underground tanks to kind of check the fuel levels. When he withdrew it, it seemed pretty hot. So he put a thermometer down into the tank and it was 172 degrees Fahrenheit. How? Wow. That didn't explode and cause an even more problem. But I mean, you're that below and it's 172 degrees from that fire. Then um, it, it obviously starts to get statewide attention and it just continues to burn and burn. On February 14th, 1981, a 12-year-old was um, uh, named Todd Dom Dombowski <laughs> was, uh, I believe, in his grandmother's backyard and actually fell into a sinkhole that just came out of nowhere, four feet wide by 150 foot deep. It just opened up. But thankfully, he was able to grab a tree root. And then his cousin, another 14-year-old, Eric Wolfgang, pulled him out of the hole to safety. The plum of hot steam um, just kind of coming up from the hole was actually tested and found to contain lethal levels of carbon monoxide. Just out of nowhere. Sinkholes are scary. Yeah, I know. I mean, could you just imagine you're just a kid playing, doing whatever you're out in your backyard, not on a cell phone, that's for sure. And then the ground just opens. Mm -hmm. I mean... Unbelievable. That is scary. It's uh, an understatement statement. But as we mentioned earlier, then in 1992, Pennsylvania Governor Bob Casey starts um, the movement for the eminent domain on all property in the area, condemning all the buildings, the houses and everything else. Uh, in a legal effort, they ended up more or less saying that, you know, if you had a home and everything else like that, you were more or less allowed to live in it until you uh, passed away. So uh, like we mentioned in 2002, they discontinued the zip code 17927. And at that point in uh, fast forward a little bit in 2006, there was only 16 homes still standing. And then by 2009, it was 11. Um, and then he really tried to just kind of evict the last remaining people. And then last reported in 2010, five homes remained. So but it actually got so bad. There's a nearby village called Burnsville. Um, it also had to be evacuated as the fire started under there as well. That's crazy. Isn't it just mind boggling? It's almost like a science fiction book or movie, isn't it? Right. Um, but it, like, like I mentioned earlier, not only is it mind boggling that it happened, but it's still burning to this day. There's just streets um, when you when you look at images and stuff, the streets are almost like broken and steaming and there's just graffiti everywhere on certain roads. There's there's one like in, very famous road. But I did also read that I believe that because it was kind of gaining so much attraction, and everything they actually um, tore up the road and everything just to kind of keep people away from their people love to check out crazy stuff like this and. I'm sure that one's crazy. a safety a safety issue. You would, you, know, you think? What if that? <laughs> what if that opens up into another four by hundred and fifty foot deep hole? You know, right? The but ground below is burning away. It's burning very possible. Away, and it, it has also attracted a lot of ghost hunters. Even if you're not, you might not be into it, but you know, there's all sorts of reports of seeing things, which could potentially make sense again if you're into that with a burning cemetery. You know, but. What a, just a, what a wild story. And it's something a little bit different than we've done. You know, we've done a lot of the murders and disappearances and a lot of different stuff. And I kind of stumbled upon this and it really, really intrigued me. So I wanted to kind of write something up. And, and what's even cool too is 
it's so big. There's all sorts of just different things that have been produced from it, you know, documentaries, books, everything else like that. Um, it's been used as a model for fictional ghost towns and, and, and everything like, um, for manifestations, uh, manis, what's, what's a big word Manifestation. manifestations of hell. <laughs> um, a lot of famous examples is, um, strange highways and vampire zero. There was a screenwriter that actually, um, kind of used the basis of this town for silent hill in the film 1982 pbs documentary um centralia mine fire contains interviews with residents and relates to the story of the mine fire uh 87 a film was made um kind of you know what it was in the surrounding mine areas then um there was another author um that actually described it as the strangest saddest town that probably has ever existed and just you know more and more stuff there was a there was a pretty famous one at least with some actors in 91 there was a film nothing but trouble that actually starred uh chevy chase and dan Aykroyd. Huh. so in in this was it, it, the fictional town was uh Vulcanvania, which was after that huh. wild right mm -hmm. i just can't believe but thankfully i guess they were able to get people out the gases didn't uh you know do more harm than i guess than it would but just crazy. Just another example of a really small town that just kind of had a crazy past. So thanks, Internet, for being able to uh, bring this to my attention. Obviously, the only source that we had from this was Wikipedia. A lot of good stuff in there. And uh, I don't know. Should we do the quote? Let's do the quote. Let's do the quote. A diamond is a chunk of coal that did well under pressure. Henry Kissinger. Cool, right? Very cool. Yeah, cool. Cool. But there's a lot of diamonds in that. You think, so? you think so? I think there would be. Maybe that's what was bringing a bunch of people there. Maybe. Hmm. It's got to be super dangerous to go and get try to find <laughs> them, though, right? I, yes. Huh. We're not going. Can we take this one off the bucket list as well? Yes. Okay. Cool. Cool. Um, I don't have any, I don't have anything else. Do you have anything else on us? No. No, that's a good one. So that's a wrap, as they call it, in the show business. Yeah, that's all I got. I don't know. But either way, we'll be back <laughs> next week with another episode of the Your Town Podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed it. And Meg, hopefully you enjoyed this format a little more. You're able to just, you know, dribble in there, put a little sprinkles, sprinkles. and just kind of add to it. So um super excited again. And uh, I'm going to have to get some more candy corn. I'm almost out of the Brock's candy corn. <laughs> if you're wondering what I'm talking about, go check out last week's episode. It was a, it was a pretty cool thing about the family of the Brock family. So, all right, that's all we got. Appreciate it if you're still listening. And um, make sure you guys check out the Deluxe Edition Network. It's December. We have some new podcasts of the month. The Deluxe Edition Pod and the Steve and Someone Crypto Show. I forgot what it was. That's on me. But maybe I just did it on purpose. So you'll be like, what is he talking about? I'm going to go to the Deluxe Edition Network myself and find <laughs> out. And I feel like you should. So go check it out. We can't thank you enough. And we will see you next week. Take care, everybody. Bye. Join hosts Dave Houghton and Sarah Ray Pallick as they examine the less glamorous side of sports with their podcast, In a Pickle. Follow IAP Radio on social media by going to iapradio.com. In a Pickle is now part of the Den Network. For more information, go to iapradio.com. Bev's Video Kingdom. Because the movies won't talk about themselves. So Andy crawls through this river of shit. He comes out, visits a dozen banks, 
and no one's like, I'm a little concerned about the guy in this suit. <laughs> right. It smells like shit. You mean, you, mean, you mean the guy that literally washed himself in a river full of shit? Is supposed to suddenly <laughs> smell good? Dude, that's completely the mall rat stink palm, which takes like three or four days to wash off. Oh, last time I scratched my ass, it smelled like Bigfoot's dick for a week. <laughs> Bev's Video Kingdom. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Quad Pro Quo. Right now, you are probably thinking to yourself, oh great, another movie podcast. Well, dear listener, you would be right. But throw in a couple of marriages, decades-long friendships, and a shared property line, and you have just another movie podcast with a shitload of drama. Inspired by the iconic quid pro quo scene in Silence of the Lambs, each week one of us will pick a movie. It could be a childhood favorite, a classic film noir, an Academy Award winner, or a complete dumpster fire that brings joy to that person's heart. The selector's objective? To get us to love, or at the very least, not hate their pick. Will our marriages, our friendships, and our neighborhood survive? Find out each Thursday on Quad Pro Quo.